That's why I'm calling your name. Cause I need you right now, Lord. Yeah, well, I'm calling your name. Cause I need you right now, Lord. Yeah, well, I'm calling your name. Cause I need you, Lord. Right now, Lord. Well, sometimes I get tired and sometimes I get weak. That's why I'm calling your name. Cause I need you. Right now, Lord. Yeah, well, I'm praying uh, this prayer right now because I need you, Lord. Right now, Lord. Yeah, well, I'm praying uh, this prayer right now because I need you, Lord. Right now, Lord. Well, sometimes my way gets hard and sometimes my way gets dark. That's why I'm calling your name because I need you. Right now, Lord. That's why I'm calling your name. Cause I need you right now, Lord. Put your hands together now. Anybody love the Lord? Hey. Sometimes I get tired and so. Why I'm calling your name I need you right now, Lord Right now, Lord, say right now, Lord Come on right now, Lord Right now, Lord Come on right now Right now, Lord Sometimes I get weak, Lord Right now, Lord Sometimes I get tired, Lord Right now, Lord And I need you to rock me Right now, Lord The cradle of your own Right now, Lord What touch you, Lord Right now, Lord We'll make it all Right now, right now, right now, come on, right now, I need you right now, touch my church, Lord, right now, right now. 
sometimes I can weep. That's why I'm calling your name. I need you. into your life. So we're going through a lot of things right here now. And we want to tell you what the Lord said. Just hold on. The change is coming. And it goes something like this. Yesterday, a man stepped to me. He said, how can you smile when the world is crumbling down? And I said, here's my secret. When I want to cry, I take a look around and I see them getting by and I hold on. People are going through so many things. We got all this pandemic going out here. But you know what? You got to keep with God. You got to hold on. And we're going to say this. Just a little lullaby. Give you some encouragement. It goes like this. La, la. Don't you worry, don't worry about a thing. Just hold on. 
if you will, and let's go to 1 John chapter 1, and we'll pick up where we left off on last Sunday. Uh, two things. One, thank you, me, of course, for giving us the music initially, and also uh, thanks, Sister Angelique Anderson, for giving us such a wonderful Sunday school lesson this morning uh, as she taught on Jeremiah chapter 22. All right, 1 John chapter 1, and I just want to pick up and read again verse 1, 2, and 3 this time uh, as we're going to centralize our concentration around verse 2 and 3. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we 
have beheld and our hands handled it concerning the word of life and the life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the father and was manifested to us what we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also that you also may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the father and with his son Jesus Christ so again, we're picking up on the theme we had on last Sunday, Grasping Your Faith, Part 2. And last week, uh, John began to expound uh, for us upon that critical need for the Christians in and around Asia Minor, at least that region, to grasp the necessity of what we would call now Bible doctrine to grasp the prepositions and to grasp the God statements that undergird their faith belief system, our faith belief system as well. He highlights what we now call the doctrine of the incarnation, a must understood pillar in Christian theology because the belief that Jesus was both God and man in the flesh is critical to the Christian faith. That belief refuted the heresy of the Gnostics who held that God was too divine, too holy to come into the earth of sin, to be a part of where sin existed and yet maintained not only his divinity, but encompassed himself in a human body, which the Gnostics argued could not have been possible. In fact, they contend that the body of Jesus was not real. It was just an illusion of what seemed to be a human body. But if you read through John, 1 John, all five chapters, this becomes a critical point because what you'll discover is John does not address a problem, for example, that has to do with oppression or that has to do with persecution, or that has to do with poverty, or that has to do with disharmony. Instead, what John does is that he helps us to see a clearer and more profound aspect of the Christian gospel. Those elements that I just spoke of are what I call seeds that give to what we call situational preaching. But John is speaking to refute the possible destructive fractions of a world ideology or a worldview and the danger of not knowing why you believe what you believe. We call that apologetics, which is why you must know and understand Bible doctrine. So he advocates the importance of your personal testimony which is why he is testifying in verse one about what was from the beginning, Jesus the Christ, what he has heard with his own ears, seen and testifying or touched, should I say with his own hands. And I alluded to last week in the King James Version, he says, or the King James Version said, what we beheld with our eyes, what we saw, on the big picture screen of life, John says, we were personal 
eyewitnesses of this thing. In fact, he uses what we call the first person plural. Notice he doesn't say I saw. He says we saw. And that we is denoting that his story is backed up by other believers, preferably the apostles. And if historically it's true, they have passed away now, but we don't know that to be the case. So if they were alive, he would say that my story can be backed up by the other apostles. But even broader than that, there are other individuals who can testify that the living Lord that we know of, Jesus is not only the God man, but he says he's the word of life. Isn't that what he said at the end of verse one? We're testifying about him who we call the word of life. And here's what he's saying. I've got witnesses who can step forward, who can testify that without question, we know that Jesus is the God man. So it would be blind Bartimaeus who would come up and testify that I know who he is as the God man. He's a man because he identified with my, my blindness, but he's God because he gave me a healing. It would be the woman at the well. He identified with my frailty of life, but he also gave me a new life in telling me about the living water if I drunk of that which he proposed. It is Zacchaeus. He would come to testify. He is able, even though I had exploited humanity, those who were around me as chief tax collector, yet Jesus looked beyond my fault. He saw my physical need, the pain that existed in me because I approached him to let him know. And then he saw the spiritual need. And I told him if he restored my soul, gave me a new life, I'd give back everything that I've taken from people, double. And so they are all testifying of this God man that Jesus indeed is God and man. That is clear in terms of the doctrine of the incarnation. Now, in the second verse, John highlights the significance in your life, in my life, in his life, a couple of critical words. But in verse two, there are two words that I want to lift up. The word life, which is the Greek word zoe, which means life and spirit. So it's biology and spirit. That's the reason why Jesus is incarnated of both biology, born of Mary, but spirit of God, born of God, is God. And then the second word in verse two is the word manifest. It's a Greek word that means public display. It means that that which was mere theoretical, God has brought to life. See, look what he says. He says the life was manifested and we seen it. But look at the next thing. We bear witness. That's another word. That's the word martyros. It means we are personal witnesses by way of testimony. We know without a shadow of a doubt that this Jesus that we are talking about, then he uses the word proclaim to you eternal life. That word proclaim could very well mean preach to you, talk to you, tell you about eternal life, 
we are telling you about this manifestation of who he is because he uses the words to show forth the facts and the truth. Remember, Sister Angelique talked about that this morning, the difference between facts and truth. But John is proving both the fact and the truth in verse one. He is reiterating it there in verse two, making clear that we are talking about what we have heard, not a rumor, nothing like a rumor, but as a person who's experienced the exact same thing, salvation. We've not only seen salvation, but we've witnessed salvation in our own life. What we have touched and held with our own hands, what we saw with our own eyes in the incarnation, God revealed himself, says John, unto us that he is the God of love and a God of redeeming love, that he is the God of light that will lead you out of darkness, and he is the God of life, Zoe. He's the God that imparts true life into your existence. And so John says, we are here to admonish you to be willing to stand behind your testimony and to tell the story about the redeeming love of God. That's why Jesus had said earlier in John 14, he that has seen me has seen the father. In other words, when you see who I am, said Jesus, you see who the father is. And John is advocating that we saw him. We saw both God and the man Christ Jesus. And in seeing him, that became the manifestation. That's what the word means. To manifest means to bring to light. But here's another word. Here's another definition of it. It also means to make known what already existed. So in other words, when you saw Jesus, says John, when we saw Jesus, we saw the God who already existed. And he says, I'm telling you this because you need to know it corresponds to what I was telling you in John 1.14. The word became flesh and dwelled among us. The word dwell there means tabernacle, but it also has a uh, adherence to seeing him face to face. And that's our admiration. That's our desire now is to see him face to face. And what John meant, when he said, we have seen and bear witness, we saw him with our own eyes. And John is saying sound things to his recipients because he wants them to understand what we are sharing with you. And then what we want you to grasp is the understanding of what it means to have your own personal testimony, to be an eyewitness to the glory of God. In other words, when you know God for yourself, no one can alter your story. No one can change your story. People may question your story, but you know the authenticity of your story. You know, like nobody else knows, what God has done for you, how God has created a fresh space, how God has given you a new start, how God has helped recreated your life how the reading of the word has brought understanding to life's trauma and life's trials and tragedies, 
how when you have been misunderstood and the misfortunes have found your name, you have come to know by having a very personal, intimate relationship with God, and you have eyewitnessed for yourself the miraculous, the great things that God has done, the opening of a door, the making a way out of no way, the supplying your need, the providing what you thought would never happen, happen. That's what John is saying. You have been an eyewitness to that experience and nobody can take that away from you. You already know what it is that God has done. And that's what John is trying to tell them. That's what John is trying to tell us. Stick to your story, stand on your story, grasp the importance of knowing what your faith means to you because it will get you through dark days. It will get you through lonely nights. It will get you through difficult times. It will get you through heartaches. It will help you get over the hills and the valleys to which you find yourself in. It will bring you out of a valley. It will take you over a hill. It will bring your bridge over troubled waters. Know your story and know the Lord of your story. That's what John is saying. Because John says, when you have first-hand evidence. When you know for yourself, can't nobody change that. So a couple of things that John's trying to tell us. Number one, that Christ is the undeniable evidence in his story. That's it. He's arguing that. He's going to argue that point. Jesus is the undeniable evidence in my story. Now, I'm going to take spiritual liberty and suggest to you that I think what could have been a possibility in John's mind is a reflection of a previous experience. So here's what I mean. John may be saying, if I had not seen the evidence for myself, I could have been persuaded to believe differently. Your testimony, my testimony, is anchored, as I said previously, in the evidence about Jesus in our life. The evidence is forever before us, around us, and within us, it cannot be denied. And this is what I think. I think John was having a reflection and reimagining his experience with Peter back in Acts chapter four. And when you read that little scenario of that story, in fact, I'm gonna take a journey back there in the text. You read that little scenario of the story, Acts chapter four, I want you to listen to something that happens in this story. It's important to hear the dialogue that takes place because you get to hear why John is talking the way he's talking in 1 John chapter 1, 2, and 3. It's clear. They are standing before the Sanhedrin because of the healing of a man that they had met at the gate called Beautiful. The evidence of Peter and John was so protruding, that means it was pushing forth out of their life regarding the light within them because of the love that touched them. So they were on their way to the temple to pray and their life was touched by this man's uh, request for alms and he stopped them in their tracks. Everybody else passed by going in and out of the temple doing what they do, but Peter and John stop. And when the man requests arms, you know the story, silver and gold we don't have, but such we do have to give you. We got a name in the name of Jesus, 
See, they are standing their hope on that name. And then they reached out and grabbed the man by his hand and lifted him. And the Bible says his ankle begins to gain strength and his whole life is transformed in the immediate. My point I'm trying to push is that John is saying we have confidence in regard to the evidence of what we have heard, what we have touched, and what we have seen of Jesus. Now, if you got your Bible and you turn to Acts chapter 4, follow me as I begin reading from verse 13, because you're going to hear, as we go from verse 13 down to verse 20, you're going to hear what happens when we talk about evidence. Listen to the Bible. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John, so as they stood before the Sanhedrin, what gave them the boldness and the strength to stand with such confidence is what they had seen Jesus do and what they had seen in the life of Jesus. They were eyewitnesses of how God worked the miraculous. So they saw blind Bartimaeus healed. They saw the change of the life of the woman at the well. They saw the conversion of Nicodemus. They saw the man who was blind, washed in the pool of Siloam and came away seeing. They saw the resurrection of Lazarus. They saw the lifting of the sun from the woman of Nain. They had eyewitness. And listen, that empowered them to stand with boldness before the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin were the police, the religious police of the temple. They were the ones who, who, who sort of created policy for how things were to go. And they also had a hand in how the laws would be applied in terms of the Jews when it relates to Rome. Rome would sort of defer things to them because they were not Jewish and they did not want to interfere with the religiosity of the, of the uh, Hebrews, of the Jews. And so the Sanhedrin were the echelon. They were the elite of the group. And watch what happens. These two, what perceived to be ignorant men who stood before the Sanhedrin because they stood on the power of the word and they stood on the power of their testimony and they stood on the evidence that they had etched in their mind that they saw with their own eyes. Listen to what the text said. They stood with confidence and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men. Never went to school. Never seen a seminary. Never seen divinity school, never seen university, never had undergraduate, nothing. But yet, look what the text says, they were marveling. They were marveling. In other words, they mesmerized the Sanhedrin as they stood there in such boldness. That, that's, that's the reason why people have, you know, sometimes the oppressor has a fear. Actually, I would contend that oppressors have more fear of the oppressed than the oppressed have of the oppressor. And that's because when there's a continuation of this consistency to stand bold and to not give in, that's what happened to Polycarp because he stood before Domitian and refused to give in, refused to change his story, refused to change his testimony. He lost his life. What happened to John on the Isle of Patmos? If he had just refuted this story about Jesus, he would have lived a long time, happily maybe on the Isle of Patmos, but he couldn't. 
He stood on the word. He stood on what gave him strength and marveled. But look what it says, and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. In other words, that's shouting news right there. The oppressor recognizes that when the oppressed keep talking about a God who makes a way out of no way, and no matter how much they oppress, or in the language of the Old Testament, Pharaoh and Moses take away their straw that they can't make brick, they make brick anyway. They find a way to even develop justice among themselves. And what I'm trying to tell you is whenever you walk this life and you walk and stand on what you believe, they'll know you've been with Jesus because of your survival mannerism, because of your boldness and because of your face, because of the proclamation, because of the stand that you take. Look, the Bible says, and seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. In other words, the evidence that Peter and John wasn't a hoax could not be denied. And what I'm trying to push to you today is that sometimes you got to sit back and look at the evidence that God has provided in your life to let you know that God is in the midst of working all things together for your good and the evidence can't be denied. Now, we might want to contend from a legal standpoint, what does the word evidence mean? What is evidence? Well, Black's Law Dictionary says evidence is any species of proof, and it uses a legal term, or probative matter. And probative matter means, the word probative means tending to prove. It means, in other words, it's a good chance it's going to validate itself. Legally presented at a trial of an issue, by the act of the parties and through the medium, here it is, of witnesses, records, documents, exhibits, concrete object objects for the purpose of inducing belief in the mind of the court or the jury as to their contention. So here's Peter and John. They don't have no exhibits. They really do. The man is an exhibit. They don't have any documents. They really do. The man is a living document. They don't have any record. The man is going to be a record. It is now in historical history. And they don't, they stand as medium of witnesses. But here, here's a clincher. And the Sanhedrin can't deny it because they stand as witnesses that the man to whom was healed was standing right there and they can't deny it. That's the reason why John is trying to tell us that we standing strong and we hold our ground on our theology. And our theology says we're going to testify about the things that we have seen, that we have heard, that we have beheld with our own hands, and that we have seen the life, the life of Jesus. That's the life you and I have. It has manifested itself. And we have seen it and we bear witness to it. And that's why we proclaim eternal life which was with the Father, and now it's manifested to us. That's what happened when Jesus left eternity and came into our reality. It became the manifestation of God. Now, listen to what John is saying. As he's reflecting back, I'm thinking on this story, as they stand before the Sanhedrin, it can't be denied. You can't deny that. The evidence that Jesus has left in our life cannot be denied. It's an undeniable aspect of our story. And you have evidence in your life that God has been good. 
and that God is still good. So listen to the story. It says that they had nothing to say in reply, but when they had ordered them to go outside of the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? Can't do nothing with them. For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem. And here it is. And we can't deny it. The evidence can't be denied. But in order that it may not spread. Here's what I want to tell you. In order that it may not spread further among the people, we got to warn them. Here's, here's what I want to tell you. Here's what I think John is trying to convey to us this morning. There's something about this. John's saying, in other words, we are standing tall. We're standing bold. We're standing before our opposition. And the trouble is that because of how God has manifested, brought to life, made known the power of his glory in Christ. So the passage says by the Sanhedrin, we can't stop speaking by the fact that they got evidence standing beside them. Now listen to what happens. They say we got to find a way to get them to stop talking because this thing will spread. Verse 18. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, we'll let you make that decision. But here's what I, here's what I came to tell you. Zion. Here's what I want you to hear. Verse 20. For we cannot stop speaking, stop testifying, stop preaching, stop talking about what we have seen and what we have heard. That, that's shouting. That's all I came to tell you this morning. That's the shouting point right there. Because Peter and John contend when you are grasping your faith, Grasping your faith is about testifying, standing on how the work of God has worked itself out in your life. Now, I want you to notice something in, in Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. I want you to notice something. Evidence has a way of silencing people. Look at verse 14 again. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. Man, this is, this is divine here because if I could just piggyback on what Sister Anderson was, who so brilliantly conveyed to us this morning in the Sunday school lesson, it's something how people have a difficult time with truth and justice and righteousness and when they see it in its full reality, it silences them. They can't reply. They can't reply because they know that the truth is before them and they cannot deny it. Then watch what happens. Evidence not only silence people, but evidence provoke people to injustice. See verse 15 and 17, once again, back in Acts chapter 4. So the council began to converse among themselves. They send them out. They got rid of that evidence that was standing before them. They couldn't handle it. Just, just standing there before them, they, they couldn't handle it. When I think of this text, I was thinking of 
what Emma Till's mother did when she had his funeral. She contended that I wanted to America to see the injustice and what racism is in this country. So she had an open casket and they saw what the atrocity of the behavior of white supremacy does. And it could not be denied. In fact, do your history, read your story, dig deeper. But I would contend that Rosa Parks was not the beginning of the civil rights movement. I would contend that Emil Till was the seed that gave birth to the civil rights movement. Okay. And I can ideologically argue that with you. We can talk about that offline, but that's my contention. Why? Because the evidence that America finally saw could not be denied. And no matter how much they tried, it silenced them where they had no reply. They couldn't justify that any longer. And so what happened? The evidence began to provoke people to injustice. And if you fast forward, you do have the Rosa Parks incident. But if you fast forward even further, you have those four precious girls in the 16th Street Baptist Church there in Birmingham, Alabama. You see that? Because the evidence sometimes causes people, when that light is shined in that darkness, it comes to light. And look what they said. We, we got to talk. We can't let this keep going. We can't permit this because it will spread and when it will spread it will become damaging to our position to our posture that's the reason why i want to argue from a justice standpoint that that people of european and caucasian descent they know that racism is alive and well they know that injustice is is rampant in america they also know that 45 is a perpetuator of discrimination. They know it, they know it, but there is a threat to the posture, to the privilege that they have because of white supremacy, because of racism. They don't want to give up that privilege. It may be too vulnerable. It may become vulnerable and it will be, but they may lose friendship. They may lose connections. They may lose power. So they'd rather bask at a distance in the marginalization of those who are black and brown people. And that was the argument that this Sanhedrin council was. They, they didn't want to recognize that where well, they had to see that the man was, was healed but they certainly didn't want Peter and John to continue preaching because that truth would come out and that truth would be problematic. Man, I got to come to a close because I got to get out of here. And look what happens. It evoked, it evoked them to do injustice. Look what the text says. They commanded them and summoned them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. They found a way to silence them. And so when you speak out against injustice, they silence you. Colin Kaepernacki, they silence you. They don't want you to speak. Because if you do, you shine light on the injustice because the injustice profits them. That's the reason why in capitalism, profit is always more valuable than people. Because what happens is 
You have to exploit someone to be profitable. And that's what we have. And that's what this text is feeding you. But that's what John is saying. Evidence can't be denied. But evidence also can persuade people. That was their fear. That the evidence that John, Peter and John were providing would persuade people that Jesus was not a hoax, was not a jokester, but he was reality. And like I said, evidence works like a two-edged sword. On one hand, it promotes justice. It can right or wrong. It can set free the innocent. It can convict the guilty party. But on the other hand, evidence can shine, can shine light where darkness wants to remain predominant. Evidence brings to light those hands, those hands that have been working in the dark. Evidence can reveal the real motives of people. The Sanhedrin was disappointed because the evidence regarding the healing of the man in connection with Peter and John was beyond, here it is, what we call in the court of law, beyond reasonable doubt. <laughs> Meaning it was fully satisfying. It was entirely convincing, satisfying even to a moral certainty. Why? The man was there. They couldn't deny him. And I believe John is saying to us in 1 John verse 1 and 2 and 3, you have evidence in your life beyond reasonable doubt. Can't nobody deny your story but the Lord Jesus Christ. It's beyond reasonable doubt. Can't nobody tell you that God ain't who God said he is in your life. That's why I said earlier, don't nobody know like you know what God has done for you. That's the evidence in your life. And John is saying we got evidence beyond reasonable doubt that God has manifested, revealed, and you have seen, bear witness, and now proclaiming in your story that he's a way maker, that he's a burden bearer, that he's light out of darkness. He's a friend like no other friend. He's peace in the storm and a doctor in a sick room. I know, and you know for yourself. That's who he is. One more word and then I'm done. John says, we're telling you about this. Evidence can't be denied. Look at verse three, if you will. Once again, notice he keeps reiterating what we have seen, what we have heard, we proclaim to you. Here's the other word. Four words in the first three verses. Life, manifest, Witness, and here's the final word, fellowship. Look what he says. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also that you may have fellowship with us. That means John says, when you tell your story and I tell my story, we got to shout because we may have different stories, but notice they all come from the same origin. It's the same God that works in Alexandria, in Fairfax, and can work in Greensboro, in Winston-Salem at the same time. So God may be opening the door for somebody here in Fairfax at the same time, may be healing someone in the hospital right there in Greensboro. Good God Almighty. That's John saying when we get those stories, that's why you got to tell your story. We got to share our stories. We got to celebrate by way of testimony and fellowship, koinonia, that's the word. We have all things in common. 
we get the word commonwealth. That's what we have in Virginia, commonwealth. It's supposed to be where we all share in the wealth that we have in common. And what John is saying is we want to have fellowship, fellowship. We want you to be in fellowship with us. That's the reason why even though we're not in a building, we're still in the spirit. We're still celebrating. Read Revelation chapter one. John will say, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, not in a house of worship, but on an Isle of Patmos. And God paid me a visit, showed up. And he and I had conversation from that day forward. Anybody got testimony today that you can identify the day that God showed up? A special moment he showed up and sat down and talked with you and walked with you and led you, guided you, held you, supported you, healed you, made you whole again. You got living evidence because you got a grasp of your faith and you know that your God is one of faith. He says, I want you to have fellowship with us. And indeed, we have fellowship with the Father and his son, Jesus the Christ. I'm happy, says John, and I'm trying to get you happy because John says, I'm telling you that you got to stand on your story and the evidence ought to support your story. Talk about what you have seen, what you have heard, and what you have held in your own hands. And can't nobody change that because that's your personal story. Now, John closes this brief moment in verse four, and I'm gonna talk about that a little bit more next Sunday, verse four, when he says, I'm writing this stuff to you. I'm telling you this stuff so that our joy may be complete. In other words, not just my joy, but our joy may be complete. And that's the joy. That's the glory of this thing. We got different stories. Somebody can, I see in the chat, somebody, Sister Holt testifying how he brings you through grief. And some of us got some stories about being brought through grief. When the exit of that loved one departed from us and it is as if it left an empty hole. And yet the Lord of salvation, the God who understand what it means to lose in the brokenness of life, feel the gap and is still feeling, filling the gap. Or being unemployed and not even knowing what will happen, what the next week will bring, what the next month will bring. And miraculously things happen, doors open, People gave, opportunities were made available. That's what God does. Or looking for a job, looked everywhere, couldn't find, and then right at the very last moment when you had already exhausted pretty much all of the reserve that you had, the door opened, the phone call came, the email recognized you and told you we need to set up an interview. That's what God does, it's the story, the story. And that's what John is talking about. Don't forget your story. Don't let your story be abandoned. Don't let the moment in which you currently find yourself dwindle or reduce your story. But John says you stand tall on your story and you shout about it because the evidence can't be denied.
You know it. And I know it. And I know I've said it repeatedly. I'm going to say it again. And I'm going to say it from my first person perspective. You don't know. Like I know what the Lord has done for me. And so you have that same testimony. I have that same testimony. I want us to shout together to rejoice and celebrate how the Lord continuously blesses us in a very powerful and mighty way. This is the day that the Lord has made. We gonna rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, in Jesus name, we thank you for the chance to hear in your word from 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 through 4, the victory that we have. Now, God, we pray to somebody who has been listening with us, that person who is listening for the sake of hope, for the sake of life, for the sake of strength, for the sake of manifestation. Maybe somehow they are listening in this broadcast because they've never made a decision for Christ. May this be the day where their life begins anew because of what you do when we call on your name. May they leave this service today, Lord, confessing I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And immediately, God, their names is written in the Lamb's book of life. We'll give you the glory for doing such great things that only you can do. Set someone free today, Lord, who came to this service with a burdened heart, who came perhaps marked with anxiety, who came perhaps struggling with the whole issue of being quarantined in the sense of being on lockdown. God, give them a peace of mind. Give them strength to stretch out. Give them, Lord, the inspiration to leave that single space of where they're sitting. Go out, get some fresh air. Enjoy the day that God has given. The trees, the squirrels that run across the ground. May they see life in a different sense, God. We'll give you the glory. We thank you for every member, every friend that is a part of the Great Little Zion Baptist Church. Thank you, God, for the people that we have to continue to bless this church and to give us an opportunity to share in the gospel, for we ask it in his glorious name, your son, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Thank you, Zion. Thank you for attending with us today.